theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Go ahead and look at Second Samuel chapter eleven. I'm going to see the media team. They 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 love me, but they really love me especially today. Praise God, because uh, we have a ton of scripture. Let's check this out and look at the word of the Lord. Would you read along with me? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war. Now, I just want to give you a heads up. I'm reading this whole chapter. Some of y'all, good, some of y'all didn't flinch. Others like, <sighs> see, y'all ain't read that much in two weeks. Praise God, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I don't believe that, just teasing you. And I'm going to give you a heads up. We're going to go well into chapter 12 too. Okay, I just I want y'all, some of y'all like this. Second <sighs> Samuel 11, 1. Uh, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. David's men knew how to kick butt and take names. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David wasn't out fighting, but he was sleeping. David got out of bed. Oh, stretch. You know how that is. Like, this is a good nap. Let me go take a walk on the roof of my palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, like he didn't know, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who is in your army and loyal to you. That's not, that's the Akil Thompson paraphrase. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Why is this important? This is the Akil Thompson paraphrase. Because there is no doubt who this baby belongs to. See, y'all thought the Bible didn't make it plain. It made it very plain. The writer of Samuel knew what they were doing. Then she returned home. Later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a DM. I told y'all, this is my paraphrase, praise God. She sent him a DM saying, you are my baby's daddy. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab. This is interesting. Send me Uriah the Hittite so I can confess and make all this right. No, oh, that's, oh, see, that's what happens when you get in those paraphrases. It mess you up. So, no, it says, so Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, 
go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah and he had left after he left the palace. But Uriah did not go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked him, what's, what's up, fam? Why didn't you go home last night after being away so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear, I would never do such a thing. That's when you know you have conviction, character. Well, stay here today, David told him. Tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. We're talking about a man after God's own heart. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guards. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. I really wish Uriah would have been nosy at that point. Because this man was like, what, what if he... What if he would have opened that letter up and been like, like, what? But instead, kept it sealed. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed, along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops get so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? In other words, this was poor military strategy. Nobody would do this. So he goes on to just check, check this out. I lost my spot. Two, 22. Oh, 21, thank you. Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down from on a wall from him? Why would you get so close? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city, gave the archers on the wall, shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were included, were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Listen to his response. Well, Tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. 
When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. She then gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Going to verse or chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. Don't you love a good story? There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. See the contrast? You already know who you're rooting for, if you have any empathy. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He had raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children, and it ate from his own plate and drank from his own cup cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at that home of the rich man but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious as surely he, he, he done gone from well you know the sword kills one today kills one tomorrow as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and, and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that the Lord of God, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and, and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murmured or excuse me, you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah, Uriah's wife to be your own. Notice he is still referring to Bathsheba as Uriah's wife. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your wise wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. Did that not happen? I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly. But I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And I want to share this thought with you. Confession, repentance, restoration. Confession, repentance, 
restoration. Would you help me pray? Father, we love you. Would you help us confess today? Would you help us repent today? And by your faithful love and word, would you restore us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to read all of that to you so that the severity and the totality of the situation would settle in. David is indeed a man after God's own heart. He was indeed called by God. He was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. But you can have a calling on your life. You can have an appointment on your life. You can have a mandate on your life. You can have a holy purpose pushing you. You can have gifting and you can have talent, but all of those things will never exempt you from temptation. Thank you, Pastor Barry. I appreciate your candor. The office you hold, the life that you live, the responsibilities that you oversee, the money that's in your bank account, nothing is going to help you escape temptation. Everybody under the sound of my voice has it. Everybody in this room, I'm looking at all of you, have a weakness. Some of you looking up at the ceiling conveniently. Praise God. I feel like I need to walk through row by row. Everybody in this place has a weakness. Akil Thompson has a weakness. Even the one who came out of the womb speaking in tongues, full of the Holy Ghost, you have a weakness. Temptation comes to all of us. How we respond to those temptations are the difference between really keeping our hearts and minds open to the plan, the purpose of God. And keeping them closed off where no one can get in. Can I tell you, from the start of the new year, Pastor Dan McLeod was with us. And every time he's with us, I have complete confidence that we have heard from what the Lord has delivered straight from the microphone of heaven. He told us it is time for a maturity mandate. And I've gone to this several times throughout the year, and I will continue to do so throughout the year. Uh, but this maturity mandate has been given. And if we're going to continue to grow, somebody say grow. Somebody say grow. We must talk about plainly the necessity of confession and repentance because these things are the result of, or restoration is the result of these things. You cannot have restoration without confession and repentance. I knew nobody would get excited about that, but I'm going to say it one more time just to make sure we're all on the same page. You and I cannot, will not experience the restoration we desire until we have confession and repentance in our lives. At some point in your life, you are going to have a season where you're thinking about something you should not be thinking about, doing something you should not be doing, and the only way you're going to course correct, the only way you're going to make this thing right, you can't work your way out of it, you can't give your way out of it, you can't keep it a secret and act like nobody else knows what's going on, doing something you should not be doing, and the only thing that you can do to correct this thing, the only thing that will bring about healing and restoration is confession and repentance. David got to keep the kingdom for one reason and one reason only. He confessed and he repented. If you look at face value, you just check out what Saul did. You all, some, we have some wannabe theologians in the house. 
Uh, I don't claim, you can count me among them, if you will, because I'm certainly not one. Uh, but if you just look at what Saul did and compare that to face value with what David did, you would be like, David, you kind of ratchet. You kind of live in foul. Saul, it's like, look, you know what? I didn't kill the king, and he was getting impatient. He, 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 didn't, he didn't wait, and when the prophet showed up, he asked him some things, but Saul did not confess, nor did he repent. David, on the other hand, steals someone's wife, kills that dude, then tries to cover it up, and as a matter of fact, I mean, we live in foul, fam. David was never going to say anything. It wasn't until the prophet showed up. However, the difference, Saul never confessed nor repented. David confessed and repented. Here's the first thing I want everyone to know and consider, okay? This is, I want you to get this. You're either on a David trajectory or a Saul trajectory predicated on one thing, the first thing I'm going to give you, is your willingness to come clean. It's that simple. Come clean and humbly admit your wrongdoing. Look at, what, look, look at, look at verse 13 of chapter 12, uh, 2 Samuel. Then David, 2 Samuel 12, 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan didn't have to put him in, uh, pin him into a corner. Nathan didn't have to confront him several times. David wasn't like, David didn't try to act dumb in the moment. Like, uh, what? Who would do that? No. I was over here. But see what had happened. David didn't do any of that. David allowed the man of God to say, the rich man is you. You're the one with lots of sheep and the poor man, Uriah, the one sheep he has, Bathsheba, cuddles it like a daughter, letting it eat off his own plate. Yet, you don't know what I'm talking about. He didn't do that. See, because God can't do anything with a person who won't come clean. Because it's no longer about what you did, it's about what you hid. Is that not what Adam and Eve did? Did they not try to hide? Can I tell you, the Lord is trying to call somebody out of hiding today. But whether or not you hide, it's really simple. You either hide or you confess. You either front or you're living an authentic life before the Lord and others. There was no investigation that needed to take place. Nathan doesn't have to come a dozen times and say, thus saith the Lord. No, the moment David heard it, he said that he was wrong. Nathan said it was you, and David was like, you are right. It was me. Oh, if we would all confess like that. Oh, for those of us that have children, praise God. If our beloved children would confess like that. Do you know the type of energy that parents have lost because we've had to become Dr. Sherlock Holmes? Do you know the time that would have been redeemed if we just simply went to our kids and said, did you take it? Yes, I did. 
we would be like, my God, take more. But instead, no, I didn't. You didn't take it? I didn't take it. I don't know where it is, but it was right here. <laughs> Praise God. Come clean. I'm talking to myself, too. There are two components to coming clean. Are you ready? The first is vertically coming clean. The second is horizontally coming clean. Now, you and I both have to do this. Now, watch this. Let's go to 1 John 1 and 9. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is vertical. That is vertical. Okay? But you got you to track with me because... Something happens when you do this vertically, but something else needs to happen, okay? You and I both need to be able to go to God and be like, my bad, Jesus, I was wrong, okay? Now, let me just stop here for a moment and say the reason why God would send Nathan the prophet to talk to David is because God will always send a man or a woman to confront you externally when you stop listening to his voice. You think the Lord wasn't checking David this entire time? This is why you have to be careful. If you are on a track or on a trajectory where you are ignoring the voice of God, that voice becomes quieter and quieter, not because it's not as loud as it once was, but you are tuning it out. God, by his grace and mercy, will send somebody in love to confront you. And that's exactly what happened. This is why some of us will get it wrong, if you will. Some of us think a vertical confession is all we need. We think, oh, this is it. I, I, I just don't need anybody all in my business. I, I don't need any counseling. I'm good. I, I, I'm right with God. I have my own personal relationship. But can I tell you, you can take this approach of, oh, it's just between God and I, and it's none of your business all you want to. I don't need any account outside accountability. I've got my own relationship with God. And yes, you should have your own relationship with God. But God did not create you and I to live outside of community. Notice, you'll be forgiven when you confess vertically. But you have to be healed. And the only way you'll be healed is when you confess horizontally. Say it again. You can confess to God all you want. It will make sure that you are forgiven. But you will not be healed until you confess to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. I almost want to repeat it one more time, but I won't. The thing is already slow cooking. Uh, Let me show you. Let me show you. Look at James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hmm. 
So I've got a personal, the only person I need to tell God, I just need to tell God. See, here's the problem. I, you, know, you, you think, oh, I don't have to tell anybody else because all they're going to do is judge me. No, 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 no. You're making excuses not to allow the light to shine in darkness. You're making excuses where you don't want to be held accountable. How do I know? Because I got a PhD in this. We can play the games all we want to. I'm telling you right now, confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. Now, it didn't, how come it didn't say that when you confess vertically? How come it said that when you confess it horizontally? Notice, this is how, listen, I can confess it to the Lord vertically. I'll be forgiven. But once I confess it, and I'm going to get into this, to somebody else, I'm healed horizontally. That is how powerful community is. You and I cannot do life alone. I'm going to say it again. You and I cannot do life alone. This is why you need to be involved in an e-group. This is why you need to be connected to somebody, not just somebody, several people where you can be known and you can be loved and you can be served and you can be forgiven. You cannot do this on your own. Community will produce healing in your life. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of a loving, safe community where I can love and be loved, known and be known. But I'm telling you, we need one another. And we need one another not to just survive. I need you to be healed. Whew. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Look, some of y'all even comfortable with that. Some of y'all, some of y'all like, some of you don't even have a neighbor. You know you're not living in community when you just got to go like this. You're like, I can't do it. And I built my walls up. <laughs> Some of you are having such a tough time even looking to your neighbor like, I need you. <laughs> when I said it, <laughs> y'all was ready to look at your neighbor, and then you was like, oh. Like you had a twitch in your neck. Like, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't need you. I don't need you. The devil is a liar. You and I need one another. Thank you. I need some more people to help me with this. You and I need one another. We can't do this by ourselves, and we shouldn't be trying to do this by ourselves. We need one another. What does the Scripture say in Isaiah, the Messianic, uh, this Messianic book? It says in Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. That's physical, not spiritual. He suffered in order that he might bring restoration, peace, and healing between God and man. That's why James tells us, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm going to say it in the King James for some of y'all. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervency now y'all talking back tell me fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth see now y'all feel that thing in your spirit praise god praise god some things just sound better than the king james or new king james praise god until you confess you cannot be healed and i can't pray for you fervently and effectually if you don't tell me what's going on
So if you're going to confess, you need to confess to a praying person. Isn't it crazy how easy it is for us to confess to someone who is struggling just as much as we're struggling, if not more? It's like, oh, yo, man, I just, yo, fam, I took a hit last night. What? Man, I was high as a kite last night, too. Isn't it crazy? That we, we love to confess to people that we know struggling. They, they be like, is that all you did? You ain't turn up. You just had a glass? And you upset you had a glass? Man, I had the whole bottle last night. It, we, we, got, we got no problem confessing to people that are struggling. No problem. But let it be somebody that prays. Oh, I take a little, take a little something else, doesn't it? See, you know they consecrated. You know they live in a life separated unto the Lord. You kind of know they might not be able to relate. And the Lord wants you to confess to them. That person that prays, the person that's tapped in. Why is it that we have no problem confessing to the people that's struggling? Not struggling, struggling. Struggling, okay? Because it appeases our flesh. And it soothes your conscience, but you know what it doesn't produce? No healing. And so we wonder, like, I'm over here doing what you told me to do, God. I done confessed my faults. But when you confessed it, they didn't pray. They were like, oh, don't worry about it. And you were like, well, you know what? I am only human. <laughs> Y'all know that. How can he expect me not to? At least once a week. I ain't struggling that bad. It's just once a week. See, isn't that? But no, the Lord said, be ye holy for I'm, I'm teaching this thing today, and I tell the truth. Praise God. Praise God. So, if we're not careful in our carnality, we'll let our carnality lead us. And when you let carnality lead you, you will never be healed. It's not the will of God. But, see, when you are connected to praying people, then you know how you, the Lord is leading you. And when you connect to somebody that's praying, they'll pray for one another. Praise God. They'll pray for you and they'll intercede. They'll pray with you and watch God do healing in your life. Don't you confess to someone who doesn't pray. Don't you confess to someone who just wants gossip. Don't you confess to someone who just wants the tea. No, you confess to someone who is praying. And if that person, when you confess and their first response wasn't, God, keep us, and God, save us, and let your grace and mercy draw us, and God, forgive us. If that wasn't the case, then you don't need to confess to that person any further. If that person 
If you confess and they're not like, yo, fam, I'm praying for you, and it just wasn't one time. Help me. How you doing today? You go, man, I want you to, I'm praying for you today. I'm pleading the blood over your life. God is calling you. You can make it out of this thing. It might be tough, but, but put one foot in front of the other and know that I've got your back praying. If you're not getting any follow-up calls, you're confessing to the wrong people. Praise God. Praise God. So you got to make sure that we're confessing to people. Uh, that, and let me just tell you, this is why, you know, uh, I, I tell our prayer team this often. You can't go by somebody's response at the altar just because they're shedding tears. You have to ask them what they're praying about. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't reveal it to you, but let me just demystify some stuff right now. Yeah, because people, you know, they come up praying, and they're crying, and, and maybe you might not know them. You're like, oh, yeah, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. They're like, yo, fam. And then I talked to them after. I was like, man, Pastor, I, I need a job. But some, yeah, ouch. And this person, oh, no, I need a job. I need a job. But here's what I don't want you to do. Here's what, here's what, not saying nobody, I'm not saying somebody here at EC does this, praise God. But I said, okay, I might have to fix this, tighten this up. Come to me, hey, wait, Pastor, I just, I just want you to pray, you know, pray with me. And, you know, uh, I'm like, okay, we can pray. And um, I'm like, uh, well, what do you want to pray about? Yeah, know that quite. What do you want to pray about? Well, um, do I have to say it? <laughs> yeah, you, you want to be healed, right? <laughs> but the Lord knows. <laughs> Jesus knows everything, right? I'm like, yeah, we can, I can tell. With all that snot coming out your nose, all the tears streaming down your face, that all you got to do is confess. Just, no, just, just pray and let the Lord lead you. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Praying them general prayers. I'm going to pray, Lord bless them. And you leave with no healing. You leave with no victory. You leave, you leave not getting what God wants you to have because you chose not to follow what he prescribes in his word. Can I tell you, you need to let God move in your life by confessing, repenting, and watching healing take place in your life. See, it's not enough. It, you, you have to get it up out and say it. The whole premise, one of the impetuses, this is tough for some of you all, but let me just tell you. See, this is why some people, uh, and I've, I've probably gotten more to this place. It's like a calling, right, that the Lord is pulling me into of authenticity. I'm willing to have the tough conversations. I'm not willing to have them just for conversation's sake, but if if you and I, whomever I'm having the conversation with, is willing to grow and to humble themselves, then we can, we can go somewhere. But it requires tough conversations to grow. Can somebody say amen? 
Thank you. And so you and I have to be able to acknowledge certain things when we're struggling with it. This is why we say we're the perfect church for imperfect people, because I don't want anybody to think they have to fake the funk. Yes, that grieves me too, baby. It just, yes, like, he's like, stop faking the funk. You don't have to fake the funk. Let me tell you what you need to do. If you're struggling with promiscuity, say it. Because the moment it comes up out of your mouth, it'll stop coming up out of your actions. The only reason you keep acting it out is because you stop talking it out. And then temptations grow in the mind, and then from the mind, they become one or two things, and the next thing you know, you're dealing with a stronghold. But the moment you come out of your mouth in a broken, humble way and say, God, help me, man of God, help me, friend, help me, I'm struggling with this, I'm telling you, it will change from, not, from no longer coming out of your actions because you're allowing it to come out of your mouth. Whew. You meet somebody, I've said this before who's violent, fights all the time because they don't know how to put language on their words. You see somebody that's acting out, being promiscuous, is because they can't say, I've got an attachment issue. You see someone addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, cigarettes, whatever it is, vaping, I don't care, I can't keep up with it all. You puff puffing all day long, but you can't say it because you have anxiety. You can't say, I'm trying to manage and cope with problems that I have what's going on in my heart. See, when you talk about it, it shrinks. When you keep it silent, it expands. Can I tell you, nothing good grows in the dark. All right, Brian, I need to tell Mia to come back and play, praise God. Y'all looking like, man, between last week and today, help us, Lord. I was going to preach against the spirit of mammon. I might do that next week, praise God. <laughs> I'm ready in Jesus' name, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let me give the second thing. Let me hurry up. Where am I at? Oh, good. I'm kind of close to the end. Uh, second thing I want you to do. So everybody say, I got to come clean. Say it one more time. I got to come clean. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, you got to come clean. Praise God. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Tell him. Tell him. Praise God. Yeah. Y'all like, oh, finally. Let me tell you what else you got to do. You ready? Look at your neighbor. Look, just get, get, look at him now. Tell them, you have to take responsibility for the results. All right. Okay. Okay. That's it. A lot of us think, yo, I admitted I was wrong. I confessed. And you think everything should just reset divinely. Like you shouldn't have to pay for anything. I don't understand why I'm still going through this, Lord. I confess. No, 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 no. Hear me. You're dealing with the consequences of your choices. Yes, you repented, but that doesn't mean the consequences go away for either of us. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For wherever a man sows, that he will also reap. It is a universal law. You sow, you'll reap. It's just like me saying, Lord, help me with my diabetes, but give me another Twinkie, Sarah. 
I don't want unsweet tea. Give me the Texas sweet cowboy tea. No, 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 no. It's like somebody going out to rob a jewelry store. And you can confess. But guess what? You're going to jail. You can't be like, but I confessed. I gotta, we know. Thank you. But you still have to pay the consequence. <laughs> That's what we do. We, <laughs> you think, we think just because we confess, everything resets automatically. Like, oh, I stole it. I did. Oh. No, that's not how it works, fam. I'm thankful you repented, but hear me, you still have to take responsibility. You and I still have to deal with the consequences. God told David in, 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 in verse 14, and I, I realize this is difficult, and this is sensitive, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just trying to state what happened. But he said, you're going to lose the child. And my heart aches for anybody that's been in that place. And let me be clear, because I don't want to make sure that you don't project or that I don't project something on you, that you've done something wrong and God's taken a life. That's not how that works. We are covered by grace in a way that you could possibly not even get your mind around. But when David heard that Bathsheba and he had lost the child. He had fasted and he was praying and would sought God that he would change his mind about what he said. And when he got word that the child died and his servants were afraid to tell him. David recognized they were talking, whispering. Whenever you whisper, you know you're saying something. You <laughs> David was like, what y'all chatting about? He already knew. He said, the child is gone. They said, yes. Look at David's response here, 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23. 2 Samuel 12, 22, 23. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will. This is an amazing perspective. I will go to him one day but he cannot return to me. Whew. Here's what I love about David. Not only did he come clean, he accepted the consequences. This is the difference between a Saul trajectory and a David trajectory. You want to grow up and you want to be what God has called you to be, come clean and accept the consequences. It's fascinating. Everybody, I'm not, I'm not, listen, but I know it's like if you've been to 57 churches and you think you're not the problem, you might want to come clean and accept the consequences. Say, man, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, we, can we just act like we've not all done something up in here? Thank you. That was two amens from the same man. Praise God. God's forgiven us. And we've gone to counseling. And we've done it vertically. And we've done it horizontally. But the fact remains that that person doesn't want you back in their life. <laughs> I repented. Why don't they want to get back with me? They don't trust you anymore. And I got a newsflash for you. They don't have to.
Sometimes our consequences mean that the relationship ends. Sometimes our consequences mean that the job ends. Sometimes our consequences mean that our lifestyle changes. Based on our behavior, and if we repent, and here's what we do. <laughs> Especially babies. And I, I'm okay with it if it's a baby, baby, like a baby in Christ. Uh, but here's what some, some of us will do. We'll be like, oh I don't know why God is putting me through this. He must be trying me. No, that's you trying you. That, 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 that ain't God. God didn't put you. I've been not looking at anybody. Praise God. <laughs> Woo, getting tight in here, boy. You know, let the old folks sit over there. It might be tight. But it's right. I don't understand. Why is God putting me through this? It's not fair. God didn't put you through it. You put you through it. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor Akil. No. What does God want me to learn? He's trying to give me a lesson. No, God's... Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You got to deal with the consequences. God didn't send you through that to teach you a lesson. You sent yourself through that. Don't try to blame God. Well, the Bible says all things work together for the good. To them that love God and are called according to us. Don't take the scripture out of context. Okay, praise God. I better stop meddling. Didn't nobody tell you to go rob that jewelry store and do nine years in prison? And now, yes, you have a prison ministry, but you act in love. But you could have had a prison ministry without robbing the bank. Just take responsibility for your actions. Everything is not God. God did not do this to you. Some of this stuff is you did this to you. You made this bed. Now you got to lay in it. Deal with the consequences. Look at your neighbor and say, deal with the consequences. Take responsibility for your stuff. Who is ready to deal with their stuff? Can I tell you, when you begin to deal with your stuff, confronted, some things will begin to change in your life. The joy is going to be cemented in your heart. You will not wave the right, you know, be up and down, up and down, up and down. You'll realize God is using you. God's got a plan and purpose, and that's how you're going to grow. I didn't say that failure was final. The devil might have said that, but that's a lie. God's not done with you yet, but it doesn't negate that you and I have consequences for our actions. Doesn't mean that you're not a child of God anymore. It just means that you messed up. And there's no way you can get that back. But God can still use you. There have been people who have made poor decisions. In some cases, I want to emphasize the plurality of decisions. They've had to leave the ministry. Doesn't mean they're not gifted anymore. Just means they can't go back and do what they were doing. They can go do something else. But they feel like it's the enemy trying to, no, 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 not the enemy. I just remember too much. I ain't the enemy. My memory is just really good. 
I forgave you. That don't mean I want to hear you preach. They try to spin it anyway. Oh, you're being judgmental. No, you did something really, really bad. And I like you. I love you. I forgive you. But I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> All right. You know what? Some of y'all, I know y'all are like, man, why is he preaching this today? Even Paul. You know, when the church, see, there is a way. See, here's the problem. Let me just help you real quick. It's okay to have a difference. But even Paul and Barnabas in the early church, they had issue. And you know what? They were like, love y'all. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Mary, I heard a lot about you. Praise God. You stick with James. We're gonna, we're gonna, me and Barnabas, we're going to go do our thing. And it wasn't a big issue. You don't see Paul nor Barnabas talking about them. And you don't see James, Peter, John, you don't see them talking about Paul and Barnabas. There is a way to have a difference and go about and fulfill the will of God. I told my wife this. I said, you know what? I said, I love everybody. And I will, when the Lord, you know what Paul, you know what Paul said? Bring me Luke. You know what? They were done. But you know why he said he wanted them back? He's useful to me for ministry. Not to chat it up. Not to hang out and play ball with. Not to come over and have dinner. I got kingdom purpose. Bring him. Let's go. Bring him. Bring him to me, and we'll talk through this thing. But that's it. You see no scriptural record of Paul ripping this man, but Alexander the coppersmith. <laughs> anyway. So, let me get to the next thing. Let me hurry up. He said he did him much harm. That's what Paul said. So, listen to the third thing. You ready? So, we got to come clean. We got to take responsibility. Mia, let's give him hope. She wants some hope, too. She's like, let's go. Praise God. I mean, you ain't got to jump up like that. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Third thing is repent. Repent. Somebody say repent. Yeah, no, y'all didn't say that with excitement. When we were, when we were telling you take responsibility, you're like, take responsibility for your actions. He was giving everybody the business. Now we like repent. You're like, repent. Yeah, repent. Perhaps you don't know what to say. Perhaps you don't know the words. Perhaps you can't find the words to articulate how broken your heart is. I have got amazing news for you. David wrote one of the most amazing psalms of repentance. I feel like I used to watch this show called In Living Color. And they used to, they'd be like, I wrote a song about it. Like to hear it? Here it go. I want you to look at David's response. Why don't we stand? 
And here's what, I, here's what we're going to do that's different. I'm going to challenge. You know, uh, I'm putting myself on the spot, so I probably won't do it now. But at one point, I had this thing memorized because I would pray it every single time. Like, Lord. Sometimes you got to let the Word do the talking for you. So we're going to put it up on the screen. But here's what I'll do. Let's put the 51st Psalm up on the screen, beginning of verse 1. Let's do the New King James. Let's do the New King James translation. I'll give you a moment to get the New King James up there. But this is important because what I want you to do is I want you to get your Bible or your Bible app. And I, I want you to go to the 51st Psalm with me for a moment. Look at this. And what I want you to do is I want you to make this your prayer. Now, I'm going to show you really quickly, just a moment, how you can pray the Word of God. Because you can read it like you would read a letter, and just like you're a wannabe grammarian. The first verse, the first portion of the first verse says, Have mercy upon me, O God. Now, I, I, I could go on, but I'm going to take a moment and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. You know, when people interacted with Jesus, they would cry out, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You don't have to rush by this. You can say, have mercy on me, God. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking you on behalf of you being merciful. I this is how I'm starting the conversation because I acknowledge that you're merciful and I need your mercy. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on my family. Have, have mercy on who, who I am right now. Watch this. Have mercy on me according to your loving Lord, I need you to have mercy on me because your kindness and your love is better than life. Have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. Lord, not only to your loving kindness, but according to the multitude, not the multitude of your tender mercies, according to the multitude, Lord, I need your mercies. I need tender mercies which are made new every morning, God. According to those mercies, Lord, this is why I'm here. Do you see right now we're praying the Word of God. God is beginning to deal with somebody right now. Right now, you are acknowledging you are coming clean. Right now, you are taking responsibility. And now you are repenting. You are orienting, you are orientating your life around Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says here. He knows that he comes to a merciful God. And he goes according to his loving kindness and the multitude of his tender mercies. He asks him, blot out! Blot out my transgressions. I don't want to see them anymore. I want them to be gone. 
I want them to be behind me. I don't want them to be beside me. I don't want them to be in front of me. I want them to be no more. Blot them out. Blot out my transgressions. Look at this prayer right here. Wash me. Wash me. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly from lying, God. Wash me thoroughly from pornography, God. Wash me thoroughly from gossip. Wash me thoroughly, Lord, from drugs. Wash me thoroughly from promiscuity. Wash me thoroughly from selfishness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. This isn't anybody else's, God. This is mine. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin. This, this thing is always the lying, the vaping, drinking, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex. It's always before me, God. The truth is, Jesus, it's against you and you only. I've sinned against you. When you told me don't do it, I still did it. When I told you to set me free and I ran right back to that thing like a dog would return to its vomit. I did evil in your sight. So here's what I know. I've been blaming everybody else. But you will be found just when you speak. When you judge, oh God, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward parts. In other words, I'm coming clean, God. Lord, I'm coming clean. I want to be truthful. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost just pulling on some of us right now. Come on, is the Holy Ghost pulling on anybody right now? Come on, if he's pulling on you, I could continue to make this your prayer. But what I would say is, why don't you make it your own personal prayer? You, you have the psalm in front of you. Why don't you come to this altar and find a place of repentance and say, God, I'm, 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 this is where I'm at, Lord. Have mercy upon me. Why don't you get that device and... Why don't you read that psalm and why don't you just begin to talk to God and begin to make that your prayer. Come on, why don't you begin to talk to him and say, God, in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Come on, does anybody want him to wash you? Come on, ask him to cleanse you ask him to do so according to his loving kindness according to his tender mercies
Come on, we're all in a place where we need. Yes, God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.